you'd open your Bible with me this evening to Psalm 32, Psalm 32. Uh, while you're turning there, just want to say to uh, see some of our New City folks here with us tonight. We uh, celebrated and just gave thanks to God this morning for uh, particularization, but I want to just thank uh, you um, for the labors that you've put into making uh, that happen. Uh, church plant is not easy work, and um, those of you who went to, from Harvest to do that work uh, have worked tirelessly to make it happen. And uh, so thank you, and we uh, just wish the Lord's continued blessing on uh, that work and um, hope to see it grow and hope to see New City plant a church uh, somewhere soon down the road. Um, God has been gracious. Let's uh, go to Psalm 32, a Psalm of David. Uh, commonly understood as a psalm that David wrote after his horrible sin with Bathsheba and after he had repented. Psalm 51 is uh, David's uh, prayer of repentance. And Psalm 32 is written uh, as David reflects on that experience. And um, it's about the blessedness of being forgiven. Psalm 32, let's give our attention to God's word. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. And then God speaks. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. O God in heaven, we thank you for these inspired words of David, this, this poem celebration of the joys of forgiveness. And, oh God, speak to our hearts tonight with your word, and we'll give you the thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. St. Augustine, as you maybe know, one of the greatest theologians of the church, lived in the 400s. Um, St. Augustine was a great sinner. He wrote a book about it called Confession, if, uh, St. Augustine's Confessions. If, if you've never read it, I highly recommend it to you. Uh, came to faith when he was in his young 30s after leading a profligate life of sin. Uh, he was 
He was a man who was happy to feed the desires of his flesh in every way that he could, but was uh, wonderfully converted, largely by the prayers of his mother, and, and the Holy Spirit, uh, of course, um, moved into his, his conscience and convicted him of his sin, and a wonderful story of conversion as, as um, he heard a child singing, take up and read, tole lege, and he took up, uh, and he says, surely that was meant for me, and so he grabbed his Bible and opened it up, and, and the word of the gospel came to him, you spent enough time in the past feeding uh, the desires of your flesh. And, uh, and uh, Augustine was, was wonderfully converted. Well, he was a man who went on to be a great scholar and um, loved the Psalms. Uh, they, uh, he wrote a massive commentary on the Psalms. Uh, it fills six volumes uh, in its translated version. Uh, but of all the Psalms that uh, St. Augustine knew and loved, he loved Psalm 32 the most. Uh, tradition has it that he had his friends inscribe Psalm 32 on his bedroom wall. So that every morning when he got up, uh, these are the words that greeted him. Every day he began uh, knowing that he could walk in the happiness of a forgiven sinner. Uh, psalm 32 is, is uh, called one of the penitential psalms. It's a psalm about sin. But it's, it's not a sad psalm. It's, it, is a, it is a very happy psalm. Verses 1 and 2 both begin with the word Blessed, happy is the man. And it ends in verse 11 with the command, be glad, rejoice, shout for joy. It's a song about the blessedness, the overwhelming joy of a forgiven sinner. And so I've entitled my message tonight, The Happy Sinner. The Happy Sinner. As I said, it's commonly granted that David wrote this psalm after his, his sin with Bathsheba. Uh, he took her to bed and slept with her, though he knew exactly who she was, a, another man's wife. Uh, and then he had her husband killed to cover up his crime. And I say that and remind you, that, uh, you of that, just so you know that um, the man who's writing this, he knows the reality of grotesque sin. And that if... Uh, if you're here tonight, and, and you might be tempted to think that you've sinned too grievously to experience the happy uh, joy of forgiveness, well, that, that can't be true. If, if David could experience it, you can and I can as well. We're going to look then at the, the blessed life of the forgiven sinner. David begins verses 1 and 2, uh, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom, against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Happy is the man. Uh, it begins, interestingly, in the, in the same way that Psalm 1 does. In fact, this is the first psalm since Psalm 1 that starts with these words, blessed is the man. And it's a wonderful contrast. It highlights the, the wonder of this psalm because if you remember Psalm 1, who is the blessed man? The blessed man is the righteous man. It's the guy that does not walk in the counsel of sinners or stand in the, in the way of sinners or sit in the, the seat of mockers, scoffers. His delight is in the law of the Lord and on the, the law he meditates day and night. This man is like a tree planted by streams of living water. He, he bears fruit in season. Whatever uh, he does prospers. The, the blessed man of Psalm 1 is, is the righteous man. And, and David notes in Psalm 1, not so the wicked. 
There's a, there's a hard line drawn in Psalm 1 between the blessedness of the righteous man and the misery of the wicked man. He will not stand in the day of judgment. He's like chaff that the wind blows away. Well, what happens when you know someone, in fact, you wrote someone, and, and you find that you're the wicked man? The blessed man of Psalm 1 is the righteous one. But what happens when you find that you're not the righteous one at all? You're, you're the vile man. You're, you, you've done exactly what the wicked do. You've, you've walked in the counsel of sinners and stood in the, in the, in the, in the, in the way of sinners. You've, you've been a mocker. You've sat in the seat and, and you mocked God. You mocked his law. You knew exactly what God required, what he demanded, and you just scoffed at it. And went and did your own thing. That's exactly what David did. And the question is, you see, how can there still be a blessing for you when, when you knowingly transgressed in the most grievous ways the blessings, uh, the, 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 the commands of God? Is there still a blessing for you? And that's the wonderful news of Psalm 32, that, that there is exactly grace for sinners uh, David begins by recounting the reality, the truth of his sin. He uses three words that are commonly used in Scripture to, to explain sort of the fullness of what sin is. It's, sin is not a, a sort of a, a narrow, thin thing. It's this, it's this sort of gross 3D um, concept that, that we need various words to describe it. So transgressions is willfully going against what God has said. God drew the line, and you said, I, there's the line, I see the line, and then you just went right over the line. You transgressed the law. Sin is then fail, it's failure, missing the mark, that God has called us to live a life that glorifies him, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Iniquity. It means something that's perverted, something that's twisted, something's wrong inside of us so that we want wrong things. In fact, we, we hunger for wrong things, perverse, twisted things. Our desires and our mind are not aligned with the character and the will of God as they ought to be. That's the truth about us as sinners, and yet against these realities, uh, David opposes the, the wonderful grace of God, because David uses three words here now uh, to, to answer the reality of his sin. Blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven. His transgressions, his, his willful going over the line, it's forgiven. And, and to have something forgiven means that the guilt is removed. It, it, it's 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 removed far away from us, Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. They don't live with us anymore. Our transgressions, our rebellion is taken far, far away, cast in the sea of forgetfulness. Blessed is the man whose sins are covered. It's the, it's the idea of atoning, that, that the penalty is paid, the guilt is pardoned, and, and so there's, there's no longer any standing record of the sin. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. It's a word of justification. This is the, this is the person who God declares righteous, and so there's no longer anything standing between God's favor and blessing. 
He doesn't count our sins against us. Psalm 103, again, verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sins or reward us according to our iniquities. You see, we don't believe that's true sometimes. Particularly when, when trials come. How often don't, aren't we tempted to think, God is dealing with me according to my sin. God is responding to me according to my iniquity. I know, I know why this is happening. It's because I'm failing. And, and sometimes the frustration of, a, of a, uh, a time of trial is I know that I'm failing. I just don't know how. And I wish God would show me how I'm failing so that I could correct the error and we'd be done with the trial. Well, that's not reading, that's not reading God's providence there are times he disciplines us, but if God's disciplining you for a sin, he'll, he'll reveal that sin to you. But he's not dealing with you according to your iniquity. He's dealing with you according to your love, even according to his love, even when he's disciplining us. The iniquity is, if, if it's confessed, it's forgiven, it's covered, it's, it is not part of God's dealing with you. He's dealing with you according to his love and grace. And so David, David delight, there's e, delights in this. There's eager excitement in his, word, in his words. Blessed is this man. Happy is this man. Oh, the grace of God that met David. And remember, David didn't go looking for it. David was, was buried in his guilt and his shame and his self-righteous, his self-justification. He did not ask, would somebody please send me Nathan the prophet? He was just living his life, king of Israel, um, moving forward in his sin, in his crime, and God says, Nathan, you need to go talk to David. God went looking for David to expose his sin, to rescue him from his spiritual death and bring him back into the blessedness of God's forgiveness. And part of that blessedness, David recounts here immediately, blessed is this man in whose spirit there is no deceit. It means that, that in this man's spirit, there's no more of a double life. There had been devastating deceit in David's life. He was lying all the time, trying to cover up this sin. But all of it was deceit, wasn't it? He, he tried to make it look like Bathsheba had gotten pregnant by her own husband, had the husband come home, but then the husband, of course, refused to, to go into his own wife because he was an honorable man. So David had him uh, accidentally killed on the front lines of battle. It looked fishy, but things like this happened, and, and so it, it seemed like David maybe could get away with this. But it was all deceit. It wasn't true. You know what this is like. Boys and girls, when, when you do something wrong, what's your natural inclination? When you, when you break something valuable or, or, uh, or put a mark on the wall or, or do something you know you should not do, is your natural inclination to go directly to mom and dad and say, Mom, I'm sorry, but I, I broke your grandmother's heirloom. Um, I know it's worth several thousand dollars, but it's, it's, it's shot now. That's not your inclination. Let's hide this thing, right? Or let's find some glue. Let's do something to make it look like it didn't happen. That's our natural inclination. But it's not true. Big people do this too. We have our own little adulteries and thefts and murders and have this fear that accompanies that, then you see that we might be found out. It is a, it is a hard thing to live with, a deceit, with deceit in your spirit. 
And David is saying here, the, oh, the blessedness of coming clean, coming out of the shadows, and just facing God, facing the truth. The happiest Christians you know are not the Christians who never sin. Those people don't exist. The happiest Christians are the Christians in whose spirit there is no deceit. They're honest about the truth. Beginning with what Paul says, I know that in myself, in my flesh, there dwells no good thing. Honest about the truth of their need for grace, their need for Jesus, the, the reality of their sin. Those are the happy Christians. Blessed is this man. A most enviable person in whose spirit there is no deceit. Who's just free to be honest and open about the truth and live then in that blessed forgiveness. Well, how do you experience this blessedness? David shows us how the path uh, is, is laid out here in Psalm 32. First, face the trauma of unconfessed sin. David says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was dried up as in the heat of summer. There was a period of time, some would say it was probably about a year long, where David was silent concerning his sin. Now he was probably talking to himself, justifying himself, making excuses for himself. There's a lot of self-talk, maybe self-loathing, but those are just different ways of, of hiding from God. And, and, and David said, it was an awful experience. I kept silent and my bones wasted away. Maybe you know that experience. Douglas Webster says, Psalm 32 challenges our silent complicity in the sins that rob ourselves and the church of the Spirit's vitality. Maybe not the big, bold sins of adultery and murder, but the quiet sins of pride, envy, and selfishness that we may have even hidden from ourselves. He says, congregations can collude in a conspiracy of silence. There's just things we're not going to talk about. We'll talk about sin in general terms, but not as though we actually commit them. A conspiracy of silence. That is, that is so true. Congregations can do this. Uh, the church that I grew up in is a church that was strong in many areas, but we were not strong in simply saying the truth about our pride, about our, our sin, the lust and anger and greed and rebellion, the unbelief, the worldliness, the gossip, slander, all that stuff. You see, we, we, I just don't remember people talking in any real ways about those sins, so those realities. And that is, that's devastating, you see, because that, that robs the church then of the vitality be, that it could have in the spirit. Because when we, when we pretend that we're better than we actually are, we're living in deceit and we're not experiencing the blessedness of this man. The blessedness of forgiven sinners. If you want to see happy people, find, Christ, find sinners, grievous sinners, who've entered into the wonder of honesty before God. David says his silence was decimating him. Your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped. 
There was no joy in his religion. There was, no, there was no spring in his step, no strength in his obedience, no freedom in his prayers. They were so perfunctory. He didn't deny that he knew God or even believed in God, but he had no communion with God. Maybe you find that describes you tonight, that uh, you believe in Christ, but it feels like there's a 10-pound or just 100 pounds, right, weighing on your shoulders. You're, you're dragging in your steps. Everything is perfunctory and, and hard. Is it possible that you simply are not living in the blessedness of open, honest confession before God? When's the last time you just got on your knees and, and with tears said, God, have mercy on me, the sinner. I don't want to be this person. I don't want to be this way. This is the truth of what I say, and this is the truth of what I think and how I feel, and it's, and it's sin, and I'm sorry, and I want you to change my life. That's what David did. He, he calls us to speak words of confession. Again, three different words. I acknowledged my sin to you. I acknowledged my sin to you. You find that in Psalm 51 where David says, against you, you only have I sinned and, and done what is evil in your sight so that you're, you're proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. The first step to finding the blessedness of this forgiveness is you have to acknowledge to God the truth of the sin. So no more self-justification. This is the end of blame shifting. It's the end of all excuses, all explanations, all attempts to make your sin seem reasonable or human. This is flat out owning the sinfulness. If you've ever been to uh, an AA meeting, you, you run into people like this. Hi, my name is Dale. And I'm an alcoholic, right? And there it is. My name, this sin, it's my sin. That's how they talk. Christians can talk like that. We acknowledge our sin, but we, we do so, first of all, to God. I acknowledge my sin to God. This is what, this is what the natural man will, will not want to do. He'll want to say, I know I'm not perfect. When I hear people say, I know I'm not perfect, I know they have no understanding of the reality of what they are and what they've done. And when I say it, it's the same. I know I'm not perfect. Nobody's charging you, right, with being perfect. No one's charged me with that. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. No more covering up. No, no more hiding behind explanations or qualifications. Just open, honest, full confession of the deed and all the wretched idolatry that was behind it. This is David coming to God and saying, this is, this is me, David the sinner. I stole another man's wife, Uriah's wife, my good friend, my faithful, my faithful soldier and servant. And I did it because I was selfish, and I was perverse, and I lusted after her. I wanted her, and so I stole her. And God, I knew full well that she was the wife of my friend, and I knew full well that you hate, you hate unfaithfulness. And that I was doing a wicked thing before you, but God, I wanted to do it, and I did it. I'm an adulterer, and I'm a murderer. I murdered Uriah. I made it look like an accident, but I know that I caused his death. I murdered Bathsheba's wife because I cared about my reputation and my skin. 
more than his life. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's, that's how David says, I, I didn't cover it up anymore. It's just the truth. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. This, is, this I said is, is contrasted with the silence of, of living in unconfessed sin. He finally just, just went to God. I, surely, he says in Psalm 51, I was sinful from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And surely you desire truth in the inmost place. And God, there was no truth in the inmost place of my life. This is the truth about who I am. He spoke the truth about his lust and his pride, his covetousness, his self-justification, his astounding lack of contentment. When God comes to him after Nathan confronts him, and God says through Nathan, if you needed more, why didn't you just ask me? What, what, have, I, have, I, have you lacked for anything as my servant? Why did you despise the word of the Lord. And David owns it. I will confess my transgression to the Lord. All the vile truth. All the real truth. When's the last time you had that conversation with God? Not you, the good person, the church person, the theologically wise person, or the biblically knowledgeable person, but you, the person that has has done exactly what God says don't do. Or who has resolutely refused to do what God commands you do. When's the last time you had that conversation in all of its honesty with someone you've sinned against? The Bible says confess your sins to one another. One of the things I found helpful in this is the seven A's of confession. You can find it online. Uh, Tim Sand, uh, Ken Sandy of Peacemaker Ministries just put it together. And it, it, just, it just brings you through what a real confession looks like. That you acknowledge the sin. You acknowledge um, your part in it and the things that spawned it. You acknowledge the hurt caused by it. You're willing to accept the consequences of it. It's just a wonderful, full-orbed confession of sin. Some of the best experiences I've had as a pastor is seeing this happen in the lives of people when they've been able, by the grace of God, to speak the truth about their sin and just own it. Some of the most embarrassing, shameful things, and people are able, by the grace of God, to say, that was me. This was what I wanted. This is what was the idol that was driving me, and this is what I did, and it's sin. It's a beautiful thing because there's a reward that follows it. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. You see, the, the, the great danger of hiding in your sin is you, 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 don't, you don't experience the forgiveness of it. I remember a man who came to me probably at least 15 years ago. A friend of mine was a friend of this man, and this man had, um, I never met him before, but he had uh, had an affair, was having an affair with his best friend, his best friend's wife. This is the second affair he'd had in his marriage. And he came to me um, desperate. Um, how could he get out of this? And I explained to him, the only way out is, is do what David did. You've got to acknowledge your sin openly to the Lord. You've got to confess it to those you've sinned against. There's no other way through this except acknowledging it and confessing it 
but he was so committed to protecting his reputation, protecting his family, he just simply couldn't do it. And as far as I know, if he's still alive, is still living in unconfessed sin. That's prison. That's, that's bondage. The greatest thing we can do is to do what David did. Confess the sin and receive the blessedness of forgiveness. Because you see, when God forgives, we don't just get the, the, com- the comfort that we're not going to hell. That, that, that's true, but that's not the greatest blessing. The greatest blessing is that we get the, the joy of, of recon- being reconciled to God. And so David moves on immediately in the psalm, verse 6, Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. David, David moves right into a, 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 the confidence of divine protection. You see, when you're in sin, you don't have confidence of divine protection. When you are in, in secret sin, unconfessed sin, you are a nervous wreck. You're looking over your shoulder. You're worried about being found out. You're busy building up your resume or, or the walls that you think are going to protect you. But there's no comfort there. There's no security there. There's no peace there. But when you confess your sin to the Lord and you know that you've been forgiven, that the sin has been covered, atoned for, and that God promises not to deal with you according to your sin, but according to his love. If that great thing has happened, well, then the little thing of protecting you is, is, is an easy thing to believe. And David says, I'm, if you're godly, I'm going to tell you, go. And godly, a godly person isn't a sinless person. A godly person is just someone who in his sin turns and faces God and desires God. And David promises, surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. The mighty waters of judgment will not reach him. The mighty water of condemnation and death. The, the, the waters of troubles. And trials, they will rise, but they will not get him. They will, he, will not be, he will not succumb to them. Isaiah 43, when you go through the rivers, right, the waters, they will not overwhelm you. The fire will not harm you. <clears throat> the forgiven sinner, you see, has this confidence. I will fear no evil, for, for thou art with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The God who, who graciously pardons certainly protects. And so David says, you're a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. A promise here of divine protection. And then, wonderfully, a promise of divine direction. As God now speaks, I will instruct you and direct you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. He's watching as a, as a father watches his little child, as a mother, her, her, her little son or daughter. The, lie, the, the eye of a loving parent and, and, and promising, I'll direct you, I'll instruct you, I'll, I'll, I'll show you how to go. is that a great promise? I hope it's what you want in your life. Aren't you tired of going the wrong way so often? All the dead ends, the wrong turns, the disastrous trips in self-reliance and stubborn pride and all the, the wretched consequences. Aren't you, aren't you tired of trusting you? 
Wouldn't you love to be directed by God? I'm prone to wander, Lord. I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And, and so we say, Lord, lead me. Lead me. Make thy way plain before my face. Because I get lost and I get confused and I get stubborn and hard-hearted. So God, would you just show me the way to go? Would you lead me and guide me all the way? If you lead me, I cannot stray. Lord, let me walk each day with you. Lead me my whole life through. Jesus says about his sheep, he says, I, I will lead them out. And my sheep, they know my voice and they follow me. And God here promises to be our shepherd, the great shepherd who leads his people in love. And, and there's, a, there's a admonishment here. Don't be like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle or will not stay near to you. Don't, you know, God is willing to use a bit and a bridle, but, but don't be like that. Don't, don't be the person who needs a two by four over the head every time you, God's got to get you to go the right way. We want to be people whose hearts are inclined towards the Lord. A teachable spirit. A trusting heart. Lord, if you lead me, you direct me, just show me the way to go. And Lord, I want to follow that. God, lead me. God promises to do that when we confess our sin. He promises. I will lead you. I will direct you in the way that you should go. And finally, he promises us his steadfast love. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Steadfast, covenanted love. That's the assurance you can have when you confess your sin. The God who loved you before the foundation of the world, the God who gave you the, the ability to repent, the God who gave you Jesus Christ, who, who covers all of your sin, that God promises that his steadfast love will surround you. God will be your shield. God will be your buckler. And you will walk in the wonderful confidence that you abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And of course, the, the, the basis for our confidence is, is in Christ. Paul speaks of that again in Romans 8, 32. If, if God has given us his son, will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who will lay any charge to God's elect? If it, is, if it is God who justifies, who is he that condemns? Can anything separate us from the love of God? Anything? No, nothing. Not life, not death, not dangers. Not even death itself. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is ours in Jesus Christ. And, and so David wraps up the psalm. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Yes, you, the righteous one, the one who sinned so grievously and yet have been robed of the righteousness of Christ. Rejoice, shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Friends, that's the invitation to you tonight from Psalm 32. That the, the way to this kind of blessedness and this kind of joy is, this, this path is, is a path of acknowledging your sin. And then coming to Christ. Coming to the gospel. Doug Webster again says, The only way we'll ever be surrounded by songs of deliverance and the glad rejoicing of those who are upright in heart is if we experience the forgiveness of our sin and the removal of our guilt. The joy of forgiveness is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength, and that joy is, is 
profoundly a joy of knowing that we are forgiven. Our sins are not held against us. Our iniquities have been pardoned. Transgressions have been removed. And God himself promises to be our God and, and direct us and guide us and, and protect us and love us. I just encourage you tonight to, to take stock of your own heart. Are you walking in joy? Do you, do you experience the blessedness of this man? And if not, maybe it's, it's just ask yourself, when's the last time I had a frank conversation with God about me, about my sin? When's the last time I got together with a Christian friend and, and was, was just honest and true about, about me, about my sin? When's the last time I spoke to the, a person that I've sinned against and maybe I'm sinning against even now and was just honest about the truth about, about me and my sin? There's no shortcuts, but there's a wonderful path laid open for you. Jesus Christ has made it possible for you to be true and honest about who you are and what you think and what you say and what you do and to confess it to God and experience the blessedness of forgiveness. May God grant it. Amen. Oh God in heaven, we come to you tonight as sinners. And Lord, you know our history, you know our past, you know our hearts and minds even tonight, you know all the perverseness that is within us, the rebellion, the stubbornness, the self-justification, the deceit, and oh God, we want to be true, we want to be pure in heart, people who have the freedom in Christ to acknowledge the truth about our sin, the embarrassing sins about lust and about deeply rooted pride, the embarrassing sins about greed and covetousness and lies. Oh, God in heaven, I, I pray that your Holy Spirit would give us an ever-increasing delight in confession. And we would be people freed from fear and shame, free from deceit, free to walk in the blessed ways of forgiveness because we confess our sin to you and to one another. So, Father, pray that your spirit would give us this, this precious honesty for Christ's sake, that, Lord, in our life now the, the fruit of joy and peace would reign and we would, Lord, be directed by you and, and experience your beautiful protection as you lead us in the way that we should go, as we grow in holiness, as we walk in love. I pray, O oh God, that we would long to experience the happiness of a forgiven sinner in Jesus Christ. And Lord, you know every person here. God, please lead us to have that conversation with you soon. Maybe even tonight. Maybe even now. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.